We just sang victory in Jesus. Amen. And we had just before that read to us Revelation chapter 12. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, and this is the victory that had been accomplished and was being declared. Now is come salvation. Now is come salvation. Jesus said in John chapter 12, Now shall the Son of Man be lifted up, and Satan would be cast out. He had been an accuser of the brethren for 4,000 years. He accused Job to our blessed Father in heaven, who said, Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, You've put a hedge about him and blessed everything that he touches. If you take that hedge away, he'll curse you to your face. That's the accuser of the brethren telling God Almighty that the motives of Job were just for a buck. God said, try him. And Job said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there and he did not charge God foolishly. You know he did not do that in his own strength, don't you? Amen. Do you understand the great spiritual conflict that took place there? And the Lord just reached out his mighty hand and put it under Job and held him up and let Satan have Adam. If the Lord puts his mighty hand under us and holds us up, we can be defended from the devil also. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation. This is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and his ascension into heaven when Michael and the archangel, Michael the archangel cast the devil and his angels out into the earth where they are confined, no longer able to access God because what would they accuse the elect of there? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Amen. Romans 8.33 tells us they have nothing left. Now has come salvation and strength. The Lord Jesus Christ was now reigning. He once was in a manger. He once hung on the cross of Calvary. He once was laid with a cold body in a cold tomb. But forevermore, he's full of strength. I have the keys of David, I thought I heard him say. I am alive forevermore. I have the power of hell and of death. That's strength. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God came in a fuller sense when the Lord Jesus Christ sat on His throne as King. And the power of His Christ, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, far above all principalities and powers and every name that is named in this world and in the world to come. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night, and they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. What is your testimony? Jesus Christ is my Savior. And if you are one of Jesus Christ, those words are sufficient by themselves to frighten every devil in hell. If you'll remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was on earth in his state of humiliation, they fell on the ground and worshipped him. What do you think they believe now in his state of glorification and exaltation and coronation? In heaven. Thank you, Lord. And they love not their lives unto the death. Who cares about this physical life in this world 
in comparison to living with Jesus Christ forever. If Jesus Christ has so much power, go ahead and kill my body because I know that my soul is in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even my body, if you burn it and scatter its ashes, He's coming again to gather those ashes together, put it back together, join, rejoin it with my soul and spirit, and I'll be forever in heaven, body, soul, and spirit, though glorified a whole lot better than it is now. That's the truth of the gospel. That's why we sing victory in Jesus. I heard about a mansion. So we believe that. Amen. We heard about streets of gold. We heard about His healing, His cleansing power revealing. And we believe that Jesus saves is what our theme is for today. It was our theme last Sunday. And it's our theme today. Turn in your Bibles, the precious Word of God, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When I say that address that bible reference to a bible reader they know that we are turning to the resurrection chapter of the bible we'll not be there long we're going to get one verse to remind us of jesus our savior jesus saves we believe something a little differently than others who sing jesus saves when they sing jesus saves they believe that jesus is trying to save We do not believe that Jesus ever tried to save a soul, nor is He trying today to save a soul. Jesus saves. Every soul that Jesus reaches forth His power to save will be saved. We had read to us by another dear brother, John chapter 6, that said the Father gave His will for me to come to earth. And of all which the Father hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. Jesus isn't trying to save those the Father gave Him. Jesus will most certainly save them all, without exception, because not one will be lost. When we say Jesus saves, we believe it. We mean it. We fully mean it. We don't modify it. Jesus will save every one of the elect God gave Him before the foundation of the world, and every one of them will be with Him in heaven. And He will say... Behold, I am the children which God hath given me. Amen. As we read in Hebrews 2.13. The Bible tells me when I open the precious pages of the New Testament and I break my Bible at the three-quarter mark and I see the words, the New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In that first chapter, an angel appeared to Joseph and told him, That Mary, his espoused wife, would bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came with the purpose. Jesus fulfilled his purpose. Our Lord Jesus Christ is not disappointed in heaven. He did not come and disappoint his father. He saved all those of his people that God had given him to save. We believe that. We rejoice in it. We love it, a victorious Savior. We don't have a Savior begging for souls. We have a Savior saving souls and presenting them to God, every single one of them. It is a shame that so many pulpits today will have a picture behind the pulpit or elsewhere in the meeting house. And it will be a picture of a long-haired, effeminate, Caucasian 
standing at some door in a garden. The door is usually got a curved top. And he's standing there knocking, wanting to gain entrance. Most churches in America today. And they understand that picture as presenting their gospel. And their gospel is that Jesus is trying to get into hearts to save men from hell. But in most cases, he's going to end up disappointed and frustrated. And God, his father, is disappointed and frustrated because most men don't open their hearts to the knocking Jesus. They gather that picture from Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, where Jesus said, it's in the red writing, as he addresses the church at Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door... I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. But wait a minute. Revelation 3.20? Addressed to the church at Laodicea? Jesus isn't standing at the heart's doors of sinners. Jesus was standing at the heart's door of a church. And the church was was proud and thought they were rich and thought they could see And Jesus said about them, you are naked, and you are poor, and you are blind, and I'm sick of your lukewarm love. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That isn't a verse for salvation. That is a verse for fellowship. That is a verse for the children of God to open the door and let the Lord Jesus Christ come in and sup with you. The Lord Jesus Christ wants communion with you like Abraham and Melchizedek had at a small table with bread and wine. He wants to come in and eat with you and talk to you and comfort you and lead you and guide you and be your friend. And that is the strength of a church. That is the power of a church. It's not in its building. It's not in its programs. It's not in its charismatic speaker. It's not in the cost of its pulpit. It's not in its budget. It's not in its stained glass or its baptismal painting. It's not in its steeple. It's not in its manger scene out front. It's not in its singing. You can hire singers that do better than we do. It's his Jesus Christ in our hearts. Then our singing gets above this ceiling. Our singing goes into heaven. But we have to have the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. And I spend the time to remind you that Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 about Jesus standing at a door is the door of a church. And that is a conditional door. If we do not open to the Lord Jesus Christ and bring Him in and invite Him in and love Him and want that fellowship, we're a dead church. Listen, when it comes to the heart's door of a sinner, I'm thankful that there's other verses that apply. That he has the keys of David, and when he opens, no man shuts. I've already said this once. And when he shuts, no man opens. Because if it hadn't been for him having the keys of David, my heart would still be closed up because I was a selfish, proud, rebellious sinner. But Jesus Christ reached in the key of David, opened my heart, and my heart sprang alive when he spoke the word. That Ezekiel 16 says, live, oh, live. And my heart came into life. I don't even know when it was for sure. 
I just know that things have changed in my life. And so I love the Lord Jesus Christ. But now that I love the Lord Jesus Christ as a child of God, He stands at my door and He stands at the door of this church. And He wants us to have fellowship with Him. And if we think that we are anything, no matter how many I's we dot and T's we cross in doctrine, we are nothing without the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil's no more doctrine than we do. They tremble at that doctrine. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. I told my, my wife and my one child that's left at home, my family's getting so small, my, devotion, my devotions feel like personal devotions. I've only got a wife and one child left. But I told them with tears in my eyes last night, I wish we could make the year 2009 the year of Jesus. Je- right. Loving Jesus Christ more. They had to go away for a little while. I locked myself in my office and turned on some of my favorite... Oh, I get the speakers lined right up, right in front of me. And turn on my favorite songs about Jesus Christ and sing and worship Him. Amen. Psalm 45, if you want to know what it was. Thank you for a dear brother in this church that found Psalm 45 for me. I love it. Psalm 45, my heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made concerning the King. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Ride forth prosperously, O King. The Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great psalm. It's the best psalm. Didn't you all know that? What's your favorite psalm? I mean, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Without Him, we're nothing. We can We can have 20 pages of outlines and a hundred reasons why Jesus saves. But unless we know the Lord Jesus Christ and fellowship with Him, we've missed the real issue. We've missed the, 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 the real satisfying relationship with Him. And we want that. Amen. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Receive it and accept that saying today. That receiving and accepting that saying isn't going to get you saved. You're already saved if you accept that saying and you love that saying. But Jesus came to save sinners. 1 Corinthians 15. I want to be so simple. I just want you to rejoice in Jesus Christ, your Savior. We could be complicated, but what would that accomplish? Let's be simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. These words you've heard before, the verse is short. I think we can understand it completely. 1 Corinthians 15:22 For as in Adam all die even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. I do not like death. I don't think you like death. Death is ugly. It's cold. It's destructive. It's final. It's terrible. And the Bible says after death it doesn't get much better because it says it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. So as long as we haven't died, we know we're not at the judgment. Death is terrible. As in Adam all die. I want to spend a little while rejoicing in Jesus Christ our Savior by His comparison to the first Adam. For as in Adam... All die. When God created you, He did not ask you 
Would you like to be born into a condemned race? That's a lot of power. I wish he would have asked me. I speak as a fool. I speak as a fool. You know, man thinks so highly of himself, but God didn't think very highly of us, did he? He chose you and he chose me to be born into Adam and he didn't ask us if we wanted to be born into Adam. And because we were born into Adam, we're all going to die. We were condemned to die before we were conceived. All the time in our mother's womb, we were condemned to die. All during our life, no matter how strong and robust we were when we were young, we were condemned to die because we were born in Adam. Even if you lived a sinless life, perfectly sinless, from the moment of conception, leaping for joy in your mother's womb when she sang about Jesus. I'm thinking of John the Baptist in his mother Elizabeth's womb when he met his Savior in his second cousin's womb, Mary. You can read about it in Luke chapter 2. He leaped for joy. He was already full of the Holy Ghost. Even if you lived without sin, you would die. Do you know why? Because you're related to Adam. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord that Jesus wasn't related to Adam through a father. Because God was his father. But we'll get to that later. Just hold on to that. Just look at these words. For as in Adam all die. Because we're in Adam, we're going to die. It's not your sins that put you in the grave. It's not your sins that bring you to the judgment. They help the cause. Believe me, you have, no one's lived a righteous life so that they end up being a contradiction to Adam. But it's Adam's sin that condemns our souls. This is true anthropology. Anthropology is the study of man. You want to learn about man? I'll tell you where death came from. They don't know where death came from. The evolutionists, they don't know where death came from. They can't tell you why evolution hasn't got rid of death. And I can tell you the cure for death. It's in the second half of this verse. Even so shall all be made alive in Christ. As in Adam all die. Even so. Let me give you a short little lesson in adverbs, because where we're going has many of them. The little word as in the first half of the verse, in the first clause, is an adverb. And then the words even so are adverbs in the second clause. So we have as, even so. As, even so. When you have an as, even so construction, it means that the second clause is identical and exactly like the first clause in the comparison that's being made. For as in Adam all die, even so all in Christ, so in Christ shall all be made alive. There's an exact comparison that the Lord wants us to get a hold of to fully appreciate not Adam, but Christ. So so we we want to lay hold of Adam as well as we can. Did God ask you before He puts you in Adam? No. Did He put you in Adam anyway? If you never heard about Adam, are you still in Adam? If you heard about Adam and said, I don't like that idea. (laughs) I don't like that idea of being in Adam and therefore I'm going to die. Does that mean you're not in Adam? If you heard about Adam and you heard some false doctrine about Adam 
And you believe false doctrine about Adam. Is that going to keep you from being in Adam and suffering the consequences? No. You're in Adam, you're going to die. How did you get in Adam? You were chosen to be conceived in this race. How did you know when you were first connected to Adam's race? When you were born and a birth certificate said, you're part of Adam's race. You got a mommy and a daddy that came from a mommy and a daddy, two sets, that came from Adam. That's when you knew you were in Adam. When you were born the first time. How do we know when we're in Christ? How do we get in Christ? Were we asked before we were put in Jesus Christ? When were we put in Jesus Christ? According to the Bible. Not according to men's ideas, but according to the Bible. Before the foundation of the world. How do we get into Jesus Christ? Ephesians 1.4, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. God chose us in Christ just like He chose us in Adam. When did we realize that we were in Christ Jesus? When we were born the second time by being born again, which opened up our hearts and our minds. And when we heard the gospel that told us, you've got a birth certificate because the Bible says that you're receiving the things of the Spirit of God. It proves you have a spiritual new man in you. You're born again. Then we knew we were in Christ. Amen. When the Bible says that as many as were baptized were baptized into Christ... That's when we identify ourselves with Jesus Christ and give Him the answer of a good conscience for having put us in Christ before the world began. We put ourselves in Christ to identify with Him. But that doesn't get us into Christ legally. God put us in Christ legally. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. Not of a baptismal administrator, Not of a soul winner, not of a prayer warrior, not of an evangelist, not of an organist, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Who of God, Jesus Christ, has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He's everything we need to be saved. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. All that are related to Adam, all that are in Adam by God's choice to be born as humans are going to die. All that are in Christ, we do not believe in universal salvation. We do not believe the entire population of Adam and the population of earth is going to heaven. We believe that this all is all that are in Christ. And this all that are in Christ were put there before the foundation of the world. They were the ones that were given to Jesus Christ in John 6 that was read, where the brother that read to us read the words that said, All that the Father giveth me, shall come to me, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should raise it up again at the last day. And lose nothing. That's the all that's in Christ. And they'll all be made alive. In what way will they be made alive? Let's think about that for a minute. Well, to find out what way we're going to be made alive, we need to find out what way we're made dead. How long did Adam live? How many birthdays did he have? Two... You know how many birthdays he had? Hey, you. 930. 930. He, then he died. That was his physical death. But he had died 930 years before that, hadn't he? Because the Lord God had told him, The day that thou eatest of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day thou shalt surely die. And he died, and can't you tell that he died? 
as soon as he took a bite of that fruit, he covered himself because he knew he was naked. He all of a sudden had a condemned conscience. He was dead toward God. Instead of grieving about his sin and running around the garden calling out for God, he went into the trees of the garden and hid from the God that was calling for him. He died spiritually. 930 years later, he died physically. And in the great day of judgment, he's going to die the second death because he will be cast into the lake of fire, which is called the second death. Because it's after physical death, but there's also spiritual death, so there's three deaths. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Those that are in Christ Jesus are made alive by being given a new nature. And that new nature is the opposite of Adam's dead nature. This new nature loves God. Did did you like those words in John chapter 6 that says, The prophets already have said, They shall all be taught of God. Every man that hath learned and been taught of the Father cometh unto me. God teaches on the inside. It's one of the benefits of the new covenant. Then we hear the gospel on the outside. They match up in our souls and minds. And we say, I love that message. So we have a new nature. So that's, that's one life. Then, though they kill this body, is Jesus coming back for it to put this body back together to live forever? Yes, I'm going to live physically. Death has, death has lost its sting with me. The best you can say of me when you put me in the cemetery is he's going to take a long nap because he's asleep in Jesus. That's what the Bible says. So it's asleep. We're not really dead. We're just asleep in Jesus because he's going to bring that body back. Wake up. Wake up. Call me up out of the grave. Third, I'm going to be with Jesus forever in heaven. And instead of being in the lake of fire forever, I'll be in the presence of God forever. That's eternal life. And so in every way that Adam kills us, Jesus Christ makes us alive. Jesus saves is the point. Amen. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 and see it drawn out even further by our brother Paul. Romans chapter 5. Is it too warm in here? Okay. Romans 5.12 Wherefore? What's that therefore? When you see a wherefore or a therefore, you always want to look back and see what was written just before it because wherefore is drawing a conclusion. Therefore is drawing a conclusion. Without being tedious or too simplistic or trivial, I want to say that when you see therefore... You want to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? There's a reason. Because in verses 6 through 11, it's talking about our salvation. In verse 6, it says, we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. In verses 7 and 8, it says, God commendeth his love toward us, and Christ died for us when we were enemies. Verse 9 tells us we were justified by his blood and saved from wrath through him. Verse 10 tells us we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Verse 11 tells us, and not only these things that I've mentioned in verses 6 through 11, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ for the atonement, because God has put two separated angry parties back to one again. That's what atonement means, at one. Two angry parties are made one again. Wherefore? Now he's going to explain why we needed that salvation. 
Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then we have parentheses that run all the way from verses 13 to 17. So that, parentheses always in the English language mean you may skip the material in them for a moment to get the continuation of the thought. So we jump to verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. The same doctrine that was taught in 1 Corinthians 15.22 is being taught here in Romans chapter 5. What The point that is being made here, and I do not want to belabor it because I belabored it in the past. And you're welcome to go find where I belabored it in writing or in audio off the internet and hear it belabored again. But you die because of your relationship to Adam. It's not because all men sin. When it says in verse 12, for that all have sinned, it is not talking about their sins. It's talking about the sin of Adam that they're being held accountable for. Because God imputed Adam's sin to every descendant of Adam and Eve. That is called by some original sin, meaning our original first parent sinned, and therefore we're guilty for their sin. I have said this many times before, and I want to tell you something. Some of you children are going to school. Anthropology is the science of man. And biology, you hear, you hear all these ologies that just, you know, they're, they're different sciences. And sociology. But I want to tell you about man. Man dies because there was a first parent. And I don't care if they teach you evolution or not. They're wrong. God created Adam. Adam's our first father. Adam sinned, but God had put Adam in a special relationship with him. He had told Adam, if you sin, your race is going to be a sinner after you. I'm going to condemn all your progeny for what you do. Some say, well, that isn't fair. If I'd have been in the Garden of Eden, I wouldn't have done that. No, if you'd have been in the Garden of Eden, you wouldn't have done it the way Adam did. You wouldn't have needed Eve's help and you'd have done it sooner. Adam was a perfect man with a perfect wife in a perfect world. There were no billboards influencing him, no rock and roll music, and no television to distract him. God walked with him in the cool of the evening, but yet he sinned against God. And that sin was imputed to us and charged to us. That's how we've all sinned in Romans 5.12. Because it says, as and so. Here's an as-so construction in the following verses. It's many times over. Just as in Adam. This is how death comes. As by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. What's that as-so for? By what's been described. Adam's one sin. For that all have sinned. We all have eaten the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we're held accountable for that. And what's beautiful about this passage is, Jesus Christ is the mirror image of Adam, but it's a mirror image. It's an opposite image. Instead of death and condemnation, it's life and justification. For that all have sinned. And you jump over the parentheses and you come to verse 18 and he says it again so that you should understand it very clearly. Therefore, therefore, what verse 12 said, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. We are all condemned because of Adam, our first father. Even so, there's that as even so construction. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men into justification of life. 
and you know that all men are not justified, so that you know that the all men, the second half of verse 18, are all those in Christ. Just like 1 Corinthians 15:22 said, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The all men in verse 18 is the all men associated with Jesus Christ, the all men put in Christ, the all men that Jesus Christ represented. Jesus Christ represented those the Father had given him. Are you able to follow that? Can you explain that? There's three levels of knowledge. Children, who in here wants to be wise and great in the things of the Lord? There's three levels of knowledge. You can hear a little bit of something and believe it. That's what most Christians are. They hear a little and they believe it. It takes more knowledge to be able to teach something. That is to be able to open your mouth, connect your brain to your mouth, and explain and give a reason and biblical reasons for what you believe. That's the second level of knowledge. It makes you a teacher. But there's a third level of knowledge, and that is you're able to defend the truth when there are others that are attacking it or questioning it. That's another level of knowledge. Listen, it's one thing to get up here and just unload because all you people are smart. Well, some of you are smiling, and one or two are saying amen. Yeah, finally. That's easy to teach, because there's no opposition. But, oh, you walk into a lion's den sometime like Paul on Mars Hill or in the, in the marketplace in Athens, and all of a sudden you have men questioning you. That takes a third level of knowledge. And all of this is to say to you, I hope you're listening and understanding. That we're going through this and explaining, like verse 18, if they say, but look at verse 18 says, all men are justified. Well, then ask them, are you a universalist? Do you believe that everybody's going to heaven? Oh, 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 no, I didn't mean that. Well, then you tell them what it means. Verse 18, you line it up with 1 Corinthians 15, 22. It's all that are in Christ that are justified. Right. Come back to verse 13, for until the laws. There's three dispensations in the world. We're about to read about them. When you hear about dispensationalism, we're dispensationalists. If you want to, sub- if you want to submit to Romans chapter 5. Right. We're dispensationalists in that there are three dispensations in the world. From Adam to Moses, from Moses to Christ, and from Christ to the end of the world. We're dispensationalists. <laughs> but we're not the seven dispensations of C.I. Schofield and others. Just three, because that's all the Bible gives us. Right. And the time of Reformation was transferred. Brother Keith read to us, the time of Reformation in Hebrews 9.10, that isn't the Reformation of Martin Luther in the 1500s and 1600s. That's the Reformation of transferring from the dispensation of the law and Moses to Christ, the apostles, and the New Testament. Amen. That furniture that he read about in the first ten verses of Hebrews chapter 9 was all Old Testament. It was imposed on them, as I taught you last Sunday, until the time of Reformation. Then John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles reformed the worship of God so we can come into a place like this. And listen, it wouldn't matter if we had folding chairs, if we had pews, you brought your own soccer mom chairs, or we sat on the floor. It doesn't matter. Because there's no furniture. Because you know where the furniture is? Oh, there's furniture. It told us in Hebrews 9. It's up there in a tabernacle not made with hands. It's God's house in heaven. And there's an altar there that's a little different than the altar was on earth. And blood was only offered one time on it for all time, for all sins that Jesus died for. Three dispensations. Follow with me. I'm going to read 13 and 14. For until the law, that's the law of Moses, Mount Sinai, approximately 2000 A.D. Approximately, don't hold me to that. I know it's not right. I'm trying to make it easy for you to understand. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Those were wonderful verses. Three dispensations, Adam to Moses, Moses to Christ, Christ to the end of the world. How did men die from Adam to Moses? There wasn't a law yet. The Jews could figure out how men died from Moses to Christ because they didn't keep the law of God. And what did Ezekiel chapter 18 say? The soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. But how did men die from Adam to Moses in the first dispensation? Even over them, when when you see the word even, it's drawing an example of the general principle being made and usually drawing an extreme example for you to really get the point. For instance, let me give you an example. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yay! First, by Proverbs 16.4, every Christian believes that. The Lord hath made all things for himself. He's made the goldfish. He's made the bluebird. But the Lord adds an even. He wants to really let you know that he's made a lot of things for himself, including some things you wouldn't ordinarily think about. So that we would humble ourselves before the sovereign power of God. The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Oh, Now that is a God that's bigger than the God that made the goldfish and the bluebird. Proverbs 16.4 Humble yourself before that text. I'll tell you what your purpose in life is. Do you want to realize your destiny? You were created for Him. That's your destiny. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Well, what about right here? Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, verse 14, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. The Apostle Paul is drawing an extreme example that there were some that died without ever having been given a law and a promise that if you broke the law, you die. Because Adam was given a law, he broke it, and he was told what's going to happen if you break it, you're going to die. But there were some men, and do you know who they are? They're infants and idiots. Cain was given a law. They had laws given to them that if they didn't break, keep them, they were going to die. But there were some before the, from Adam and Moses that were given no law. I've preached all this before. Don't look so surprised at me. How does an infant that's miscarried in its womb still be under the condemnation of death? Right here. In Adam. That's not fair. That's not fair. Why shouldn't that child have a chance to be born and to live 70 years in this world so that they can sin 1,275,916,000 times? People say it's not fair. It's more than fair. To have had Adam represent them in the Garden of Eden. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. There was nothing in what God required of them specifically like Adam had required of him. They are condemned by Adam's sin. So death reigned from Adam to Moses. Adam died. Seth died. Methuselah died. Noah died. Abraham died. Until we get to Moses. We're going we're gonna to find out why Moses came into being in the last two verses of the chapter. But how are we going to... Okay. That's 10.15. I can't see back there anymore. 10.15. Good. I got another 30 minutes. Romans 5. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned like Adam sinned. And then it says this, who is the figure of him that was to come? Adam was a figure. Adam was a picture. 
Adam was a symbol of him that was to come. Who is him that was to come? Jesus. Jesus, our Lord. Adam was a figure of him. Now, very quickly, verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. If we have as and so, doesn't it mean that both clauses are identical? As and so? The clock is working and it's fine. As and so. But we got the word not stuck in here because there are some things that are not similar between Adam and Jesus. The, the Apostle Paul wants you to get excited about the Lord Jesus Christ that in some ways he's not like Adam because he's better than Adam. Amen. Now, they're, they're just alike in that they were representatives for the people that were in them. But there's some superiority to Jesus Christ. So we have the word not stuck in the as so construction. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Let's get the first one. The first one's quality in verse 15. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. If Adam, who was a... Yes, he was a... He was a decent creature of God. He was good and very good, but he wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ. If Adam's one offense can be applied to many that were in him and bring about death in all of their lives, much more the grace of God, not the condemnation of God. Do you know what the Bible calls his judgment? The judgment of God is called his strange work in the Bible. Grace abounds in God. Grace Much more the grace of God, the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than Adam. That's what the much more is in there for. The quality of Jesus Christ, the value of Jesus Christ, the preeminence of Christ over Adam is much more than that of, of of Jesus Christ is much more than that of Adam. So there's one thing that's not similar between the two. Verse 16 is quantity. And not as it was by one that sinned, so was the gift. See, there's the word not stuck in that as so construction. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. If God would take one offense and apply it to all the men that came out of Adam, if he would do that, and he did do it, how much more Jesus Christ who paid for many offenses, how much more is that weighty and powerful to be applied to all those that are in Jesus Christ because Jesus died and paid for many sins and offenses? So there's another difference, quantity. Then we come to verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. If death would be applied to everyone, how much more would the victory of Jesus Christ with justification and life be applied? Which is greater? Which is more exciting? Which is more valuable? Which brings God great glory? It's life in Christ will certainly be applied. And that's a little different. Much more, it says in verse 17, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And this receiving here is not active receiving on your part because no sinner would ever receive the things of the Spirit of God unless they were already changed by God. This receiving is a passive receiving when you are given the gift of eternal life. The Bible often uses the word receiving in a passive way. We're passive. God gives and you receive it because God puts it in you. 
God didn't ask you if you wanted to be represented by the first Adam, and God doesn't ask you if you want to be represented by the second Adam. God chose you in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, before the world began. And you receive all the blessings that are in Jesus Christ because you're put in Christ where they're all located. Therefore, verse 18, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Judgment to condemnation by Adam, justification to eternal life by Jesus Christ. As so, even so, this is the way that we are saved. When we say, Jesus saves, one of the ways we present it to people is to say, we are saved the very same way that Adam condemned us. Is that pretty simple? Christine, what do you th- isn't that pretty simple? How, how do we die? We were chosen in Adam. We, we, we weren't asked. I, I would have liked, you know what, when I speak as a fool, I would have liked to have been asked, do you want to be born to die? Well, let me think, can I have a day? You know, and I, I speak as a fool, and I want to be totally reverent here. I'm trying to make a point. We were not asked. When we're presenting our doctrine of salvation to someone, we say we were saved the same way we were made sinners. And Romans 5 tells us how we were made sinners. And Paul draws the comparison between the first Adam and the second Adam over and over. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Over in each of these verses. That's how we were saved. Jesus saves. Adam condemns. Jesus saves. Adam brings death. Jesus brings life. Adam brings condemnation. Jesus brings justification. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. God made this comparison. Oh, and do you know when he first told about it? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. God Almighty speaking to the devil. I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise his heel, but he shall bruise his head. The Lord Jesus Christ was promised there in the Garden of Eden as being the seed of the woman that would undo the damage caused by our first father. And he would bruise the head of the devil who got our first parents into trouble, which brought death upon all of us. Let me chase another point for just a moment. Some people say it's not fair to have someone else being your representative because maybe you could have done better. None of us would have done better than the first Adam. Let me say it again. Very intelligent. He could could name all... Listen, if I gave you ten animals right now from the deep sea that they're discovering every day, if I brought up ten of those fish and put them in a little tank for you and said, okay, you've got two minutes to name them, duh, duh, uh, you, you wouldn't be able to do it. God brought all the animals, all the birds, all the fish to Adam, and he called them, and whatever name they've got today, Adam gave them those names. Right, Adam was bright, okay? No time with MTV. No time in the public education system. No time anywhere did he waste his time. He knew because God made him a very wise man. He didn't sit and watch TV. He didn't read comic books. He was wise. He was sinless. In a sinless world with a sinless wife, he had only one commandment to keep. We've got a few more than one. He had a simple one. Thou mayest, of all the trees of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. That's all he had to do. He was very fair. But let me remind you. Dads all the time make decisions for their families that cost them. Presidents make decisions for their nations all the time that cost the whole nation. That's the nature of authority. Bosses make decisions about companies that cost men their jobs. It's happening right now in our country. 
Thousands and thousands are being laid off from banks. Thousands and thousands have been and will be laid off from the auto companies because the management of those companies made poor decisions over the last 40 years. And so there's consequences to be paid. That's all, it's always been that way. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody accepts that, understands it. But when they come to the Bible, they want to balk against it and fight against it. But in this case, it's a wiser man that stood in place for you. Right. A better man in a better world with a better wife and only one commandment to keep. So we have verse 19, which sums it all up. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. One man disobeyed, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That is what we believe. Jesus saves. It is his obedience that saves us. Do you know what you're elected to according to 1 Peter 1, 2? Listen to these precious words. If this verse is true, do we all agree that this verse is true? Romans 5, 19. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam sinned. Many were made sinners. We became sinners by one man's disobedience. Who, who stood in our place as our representative, and his sin was imputed or charged to us. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Jesus Christ stood in our place as our representative. His righteousness was imputed or charged to us. So that we stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're elected to that obedience. Listen to the words. First Peter 1, 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we're elected to. First Peter 1, 2. People say, what about, what's election mean? God chose us to the obedience of Jesus Christ. It's right here. That's another way of putting together the whole the whole piece, the whole beautiful piece, this aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God elected us to the obedience of Jesus Christ. God chose us in Christ before the world began, Ephesians 1.4, that I've already quoted. This is how we put it together. This is our salvation by one man. And so, when we look into Revelation chapter 5, there's the four and twenty elders. There's the redeemed out of every nation, tongue, kindred, and people. And they're all praising the Lord Jesus Christ. When God was sitting on his throne in that picture that John got in Revelation chapter 5, and he had a book in his right hand, it said there was no man found worthy in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. No man was found worthy. How much did John cry? He wept much. That there was no man found worthy to open that book. Do you know what was in that book? That is the book of the everlasting covenant of God, including the book of life. The book of life is the list of the beneficiaries of the last will and testament of God that Jesus Christ put into force by his death, which our brother read. We believe in salvation by means, by means of death. Hebrews 9.15 that our brother read to us. That's what we believe. What is in that book? All the blessings that we're going to enjoy for eternity. But John wept much because there was no man found worthy to open the book and get the seals off it so that we could realize the benefits. But he got tapped in the shoulder. Don't worry. Jesus, the root of David, the son of David, hath prevailed to open the book. And all of a sudden, John saw, as it were, a lamb slain. That's why it's called the, the book of life of the 
lamb slain appeared in his presence and then the choirs burst out worthy is the lamb that was slain see those words the lamb that was slain to open the book what book the book of life of the lamb slain i hope you can see it there no man was found worthy except the lord jesus christ we are saved by the obedience of one one if i add an evangelist if i add a prayer warrior if i add a prayer a a soul winner, if I add an organist, if I add anyone, then I've got the obedience of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That is not how we are saved. Jesus saves by himself. Amen. Hebrews chapter one and verse three says, when he had by himself purged our sins, right. he sat down on the right hand of God. Right. Jesus saves us. It is because Jesus saves us that we obey the gospel. It is because Jesus saves us we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because Jesus has saved us that we get baptized and keep the commandments of God. We must keep the order right that the Bible presents. Until Jesus saves us, we would never believe Him, go to Him, be baptized. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 6 that was read? No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. No man will receive the things of the Spirit of God until he's a spiritual man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he, that is a singular male pronoun, he shall save his people from their sins. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is our all-sufficient, only singular Savior. And if we add anything to the work of Jesus Christ for eternal life, Galatians 2.21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if, for if, if salvation comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. Galatians 5.4 says the same thing. Christ is dead in vain if it comes by anything that we have to keep or by the law of Moses. Look, verse 20 of Romans chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered. Remember, we were talking about three dispensations. Adam to Moses, Moses to Christ, Christ to the end of the world. Why did the law enter? What that means is what happened at Mount Sinai in 2000, after, 2000 years after Adam, 2000 years before Christ, when Moses took the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt and God came down on Mount Sinai and gave them ten commandments and a whole lot of other commandments to keep numbering 917. Moreover, the law entered. Why, why did God bring the law? That the offense might abound. Oh, so God gave the law on Mount Sinai just to show everyone that they were sinners. Yes, that the offense might abound. That the offense that Adam had committed would abound in everyone's life because they wouldn't keep the commandments that God gave them either. Romans chapter 7, if we were to flip over there, would tell us that God gave the law that sin might become exceeding sinful. That we would realize how sinful we are by the law. You know, Paul said, I thought I was pretty good. I'm summarizing Romans 7. I thought I was pretty good until the commandment came to me with my, with understanding, thou shalt not covet. As soon as I understood that thou shalt not covet meant that I should not be lusting or desiring anything that God hasn't given to me and has told me I shouldn't have, it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence and sin revived and I died. When I, when I understood that commandment, it got me because I knew I had broken it many times. It wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. 
The law entered that the offense might abound. This is presenting the whole Bible to you. From Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve failing and sinning all the way to the end with the Lord Jesus Christ delivering us. The first Adam, the second Adam, all that are in Adam die, all in Christ Jesus shall be made alive. But what happened right there in the middle? 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years B.C., 2,000 years before Jesus Christ, when Moses came, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Though God added a set of laws, the nation of Israel broke repeatedly so that there was a great heap of sins. Not just Adam's, but a great heap of sins. Much more, the grace of Jesus Christ covered it all. Not just Adam's. Much more. Through many offenses. Do you remember? Verse 16 was about quantity. Many offenses were put away by Jesus Christ. That as sin hath reigned unto death. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death reigned from Moses to Christ. Death reigned from Christ to the end of the world. That as sin hath reigned unto death. Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. By Jesus Christ our Lord. The second Adam. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's how we're saved. Jesus saves. Adam condemns. Jesus justifies. Adam brings death. Jesus brings life. How do we get into the first Adam? God chose you to be born in this race. How do you get into the second Adam? God chose you in Jesus Christ before the world began. It's called election. Do you know what you're supposed to do about that election since you can't get yourself elected? The Bible tells you to make your calling and election sure. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, it gives you eight things that you can do that make your election sure. You say, I want to know if I'm elect. I want to know that God put me in the Lord Jesus Christ so that His obedience on the cross is for me. Well, there's eight things there. It starts with faith. First of all, believe that He is the Son of God. Then add to your faith virtue. And add to your virtue knowledge. And to knowledge patience. And to patience temperance. And to temperance godliness. And to godliness brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness charity. If you can live a life of faith and of virtue. If you can learn and grow in knowledge and obey the commandments of God. And if you'll be... God, patient and temperate with your life and show brotherly kindness, it says you can make your election sure. Right. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Amen. Those things don't get you into the book of life. Those things show you that you're in the book of life. That's right. Jesus saves. Yeah. Amen. 